Alrighty, and uh, welcome to episode 30, guys, episode 30 of the uh, Native Overstayer podcast. And, uh, how are you, mate? You're good? I'm good, or something. I'm really excited that we uh, get to go all the way over to the United States of America. Hey, it's a chance of i'm good thank you it's good to be here guys good to talk to you guys welcome as well thank you very much for thank coming you. on first and foremost man we, we appreciate your time and uh, uh as we discussed before this um i used to know you from uh, a shop that you had in, in blockhouse bay back in the early, early 90s and mid 90s and um, you, your mum and dad were selling a lot of awesome gear, uh, the sort of gear that us yep. young fellas all wanted to wear. And uh, now I'm, we meet yep. up again on Facebook, and you, you're in the, the land of the free in Washington, Washington yep, yep. Station Estate, as, as a policeman. Yeah, Washington State. That's right. How, yep. How did you get there? Man, uh, it's kind of a, we took a long route to get here, bro. Um, you know, after, uh, when I left New Zealand, I went to, uh, to BYU, Hawaii. And uh, so I was going to school over there and then met my wife, who's an American girl. Um, not sure if, have you met her before, Pat, when we, when we came back to New Zealand for a little while? Kristen? Not that I, not that I can recall, brother. Not that I can recall. Okay. Okay. So, so we met in college uh, and then ended up getting married in 96. Uh, and then uh, after that, we... Uh, moved to Utah. Uh, we lived in Utah for a little while, uh, had a job opportunity there. She took us up there. Uh, and then we, we lived there for about four years. And then we made the move to Oregon, uh, where, where Kristen's parents were living at the time, uh, just to be a little closer to the family. Uh, and then uh, my, one of my sisters uh, moved to Washington. She married an American guy uh, at BYU Hawaii too. And uh, ended up moving to Washington State. And so Oregon and Washington are pretty much, you know, uh, Washington's just side. above. Uh, uh, it's just, just north of, of Oregon, right? And mm. so we would make the drive, like, like during the summer, we'd make the drive over to, to Washington just to go visit the family. And, um, and we just loved it, man. I was like, man, this is a beautiful place where they live. Nice kind of a rural town. And so we, uh, I applied, I was working for a police department in, in Oregon at the time. Uh, and so I walked into the, the, the police department and, and where my, my sister lived and just asked if they had any openings. And at the time they didn't. And uh, mm. so I, they just said, hey, give us your, uh, an application and we'll just keep it on file. You know, one of those ones where you know you'll never hear from them again. Um, mm. And so I did. Right. And then like a month later, man, they, you know, I called and said, Hey, any, any changes? And they said, we've got an opening right now. If you'd like to come and, and do some testing with us. And so things kind of worked out right for us. And so we ended up making the move to, uh, to Washington just to be closer to, to family. And, and since we came here, man, it's, it's been crazy. You've got, um, uh, not sure if you've met my, uh, my other siblings pet, but there's, there's seven kids in the family. And, um, and so my sister was the first one, uh, my little sister Lorraine and her husband were the first one to, to move here. Uh, mm -hmm. then my sister Serena and her husband Dylan moved after that. Uh, then we made the move, me and my family. And then my brother Steve and his family moved here. My parents moved here. And uh, my little sister Karen and her family moved here. So we've got, uh, almost all of us are here, got one more brother still in Utah. 
and then my my little brother James still back in uh, in New Zealand. So uh, still got still got someone back in New Zealand. So just on a side note, Carl, you're, you're Samoan American. Samoan and, and Palangi. So my dad is actually from. Uh, his family actually came from Australia and then uh, from England before that. Yeah, oh, wow. but I was, uh, but he was born. I believe Dad was born in in, in New Zealand, but um, and then you know, and then, and he's he's white. Did you've you've met him before? Have you, Pat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, when you yeah. came in? Has any of the policies changed since the George Floyd um, incident for uh, you guys as policemen? No, it's you, you've seen things happen around the whole country, right? Uh, we're seeing slight changes now. Uh, so, um, and it really, every state, okay, has, has their own, and every department has their own policies, right? And so, so you'll see uh, things changing like the, uh, like where George Floyd was in Minneapolis or Minnesota, wherever that was, right? Yeah. Uh, so their governor and all those guys are getting involved in that because they're, they're in that, that center of all that stuff. And so they're trying, I feel like they're really trying to appease the masses, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and some of the things they're doing and they're changing are not good for overall police work and they're not gonna be good for how, how we do our job. They're actually gonna hinder us, um, mm -hmm. but it's only in their state right now. And so you have to hope that your own leaders um, can kind of see through that, right? Uh, and not kind of succumb to the crowd and to the mobs and still do what's best for policing in, in general, right? Yeah. Uh, for us for us here, we haven't seen a lot of changes yet. Um, and I honestly, I, you know, um, we've got a really supportive city here. And so the mayor and the city council, uh, they looked at it and you, and you hear a lot of um, talk about defunding the police, right? Uh, and so... So they're, they're talking about let's take let's take funding away from the police and let's put it yeah. into inner city whatever right, um, which is just complete BS. And yeah. if anything, we need more funding so we can do some more training on mm -hmm. some of the things that could probably benefit us, right? Um, yeah. And and to me, uh, uh, in my department, so I'm a firearms instructor um, and what we call an active shooter instructor in my department. And, and to me, the key is, is all about the training, you know? So the more training I can get my guys, uh, the more confident they are when it gets into those scary situations, right? Um, and and you've, you've seen the videos on TV, you see a bunch of stuff, right? Where you see officers get into shootings uh, and use of force. And a lot of it is the guys that, that have, they're not used to being in those situations, right? They can't overreact, it happens. Right. You, you know, if you get to a point where you haven't been in that situation before, you haven't trained in that kind of stressful situation either. Uh, then we, we, we call it get into what you call a code black as where you get this tunnel vision and um, and you're not able to see everything that's happening around you. Right. Uh, you can't think clearly. And so uh, the key of training is if we if we set up, some, you know, training that's that's stressful and we, we can kind of simulate that sort of training that's close to, to real life um, scenarios, uh, mm -hmm. then at least when they get to something scary, uh, you know, in real life, like a guy with a gun or a knife or whatever it is, 
they can say in their mind, right? Hey, I've been here before. Okay, I, I've mm -hmm. seen this before. At least have that uh, that mental blueprint to be able to to be able to deal with this, right? Instead of going code black and just kind of not knowing what to do, and then the only thing yeah. you can think of is using excessive force, right? Which can happen. What sort of, I guess, the process then in terms of if you come into a situation, we have to diffuse that sort of thing happening. Like, does it start with verbal sort of warnings? And then how does it escalate to the point where it does sort of become a code black? Yeah, it, everything always starts off with, and, and just kind of understand, um, we're always feeding off what they give us, right? So, when we get to a situation, if it's domestic, and, you know, we know that, uh, you know, we've got domestics can be the most dangerous things, right? Because everybody's already uh, got that emotional kind of, um, it's really heightened, right? Mm -hmm. And so we get in there and the first thing we want to do is just try and calm them down, right? And so, uh, and that comes from us being calm. And so mm -hmm. that's things that we train on too, right? If we go in there and we're hot and we're yelling and going, hey, you know, and it doesn't calm them down. All it does is it just kind of raises that tension. Right, so just being able to get into a situation and try and speak calmly to someone, right? And, and, and show them respect and, and, mm -hmm. then, and then it's up to them to comply, right? Yeah. We, we try that first and I'll tell you, I'll say 90% of the time that works, mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes it doesn't, right? And so, so then the question is, if, if we've got two people that are getting violent, right? Or someone that's trying to get violent with us, and they're not compliant, all right? Uh, and they're not, they're not complying to us when we're being uh, respectful and, and, and trying to talk to them calmly. Uh, and then the next thing is, okay, how do we, what do we need to do next to step this up, right? Okay, so then it kind of, again, you step it up to the next level, which is, okay, now I'm gonna give you commands, right? And, and I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen if, if you don't listen, right? Um, and so it kind of goes back to, um, you kind of, it's ask, tell, make is, is basically what it, what, what it comes down to. Right. But again, we're feeding off what they're giving us. And so we'll ask if that doesn't work, then we'll tell if that doesn't work. Then our next, then our last option is, okay, now we've got to try and make you do this. Mentally, it must be quite a stressful job with, um, pulling over people on the side of the road that you don't know whether they have guns and, all that sort of stuff. What, what, do you guys have backup? Do you guys have psychologists or something to go, go and talk to? I, I would think was it PTS would be traumatic stress disorders. Yeah, yeah. would that be a yeah. common thing amongst police in the states? It's really common, man. It's really common. Um, mm. So that would also hearing... that would also affect decision making, right? Yeah, well, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so you look at uh, there's, there's the comparative between. Uh, like military guys, right? And uh, so military guys, when they go overseas, um, you know, so they're, they're in a base, right? Uh, that's kind of their safe haven, you know, safest place. And when they're in there, they're surrounded by, it's just good guys, right? It's their own guys. They know that when they get back to that base, they're good, right? It's all their own people. When they go out of that base, they know that pretty much everybody out there that they're going to be going to, right? Uh, that they've got missions or whatever it is, pretty much is going to be a bad guy, right? So, so they go out there, they can, they, you know, they, they do their mission, they hit the bad guys, they come back to their safe base, 
right? And they see a lot of bad stuff out there when they're hitting the bad guys, but they come back to that base and then they're safe again, right? Uh, with police work, the difference is, and I think what makes it, uh, <clears throat> I think, harder mentally uh, is that we don't have a safe place, right? Because we're policing the areas that we live in. And so, so I'm going out and I'm arresting some dude, like, you know, that maybe did a drive-by or attempted, you know, um, you know killed, their, killed someone. And I'm going to arresting that guy, right, in front of his family or whatever it is, right? And then uh, next week I'm at a school function with my kid and I'm seeing, you know, his family there. Or I'm arresting somebody else. I'm arresting somebody for an assault or whatever. And next next week I'm at a school function. He's there with his kid, right? Or I'm in a grocery store. And so so for police officers, the, the hardest thing for us is that we never get out of that, right? We take it home mm -hmm. with us because it's not uncommon for people to find out where, where police officers live and then come and try and hurt them or kill them, right? And so it's a thing where we have to, our families and us, we have a, we have to always have that sort of awareness of, you know, um, of our surroundings, you know, because we just never know. We had that talk with my kids. We had my wife is, is aware that there's always going to be people out there, right, that don't like me uh, because something I've done to them. Well, they just don't like me because I've, I wear this uniform, right, and the work that I do. Um, and so we constantly have to live with that. Right, um, and and we can't escape that by, you know, uh, by going back to our home base, uh, and so that creates, and then that coupled with all the things that that we see every day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're seeing you know people dying, get killed, and whatever, uh, and just just really bad violence every day, mm -hmm. and and you have to take that home, and um, and figure out a way to somehow put that in the back of your mind and get home and my wife always reminds me when you come home you turn it off right you turn the cop off and you just you're back to being a dad and a husband no matter what you see during the day you know you have to be able to try and do that uh and and it's not always easy but you know and she knows when i come home and and if, and if it's been a really bad day she knows because i'm just going to be kind of quiet and you know i just want to go and sit there and just try and veg out for a little bit until my brain can calm down a bit um, but it helps having a, a supportive family, definitely helps um, having the gospel, you know, uh, it helps having those things that were uh, like a foundation, right, um, to, to be able to lean on and support you. Uh, and, and it, uh, you know, the guys that don't have that, I, you know, you see them, they, they tend to drink a little bit more uh, to forget about some of the stuff that we see. Uh, and then it kind of, that can lead them down, you know, down a bad road sometimes. Does exercise help as well, Luz? Maybe able to get in the gym and shift uh, yeah. yeah, man, that's big. That's big. You know, it's, um, you know, I call it my gym therapy, bro. It's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um, you guys, you guys familiar with uh, uh, Jocko? Jocko Willink? Jocko Willink. Yeah. 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 Maybe yeah, so. he's up as early as you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Same size yeah, arms. I mean, hey. <laughs> so Jocko, man, I mean, he said it perfectly, right? Just, just how you start your day off with, you know, getting some good exercise. You know, it's the whole make you, you know, the Navy SEAL make you your bed in the morning thing. Uh, for me, man, if I start my day off with a good workout, get a good sweat, 
um, and then me and my 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 boys love working out with me now. So it's you know, um, and I I try and make it so I make it so we leave at a at a disgustingly early time, right? And it's like it doesn't even make sense to get up at that time, right? So I'm like, all right, boys, three thirty, we're gonna get up and we're gonna you know we're gonna be at the gym before four, and and even if we don't need to be, but we're gonna do it because we know that most people don't want to do that, right? So it's just teaching them that discipline of um, getting to the gym at a, at a terrible time, waking up every day, not wanting to get out of bed, but doing it, right? Yeah, and then, man, and then, you know, you start the day off like that, and it doesn't matter what comes after that, right? Um, you've, already, you've already won that day, you know, basically, yeah. and you've got that victory, and you've got that mindset. And so when I see, you know, like dark or evil stuff at work, then to me, you know, I've already set my mind up to, to be able to handle that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, workouts to me, I mean, it's, it's part of the job too, right? I mean, I, I've always looked at working out as um, – one thing I've always looked at is like, so, so when you're training, you're training. I used to have this poster on my locker at work, and it was this big, big dude in orange, like, you know, uh, prison clothes, right? And he was just lifting, right, in a, in a, in a, in a prison, right? And, um, and it said on the poster, it said, every day that you don't work out, he is, right? Yeah. And, so, and one day you're going to meet this guy and only one of you is going to live, right? And so in my mind, in my mind, I had to, I see that as, okay, I'm, I'm preparing for, you know, you can, you can say I'm preparing, you're preparing for whoever, right? But I like to look at it as I'm preparing for my, for someone that is like my evil twin, right? That is, is trained just as much as me. He's just as strong as me. And, you know, and, and he's got that same mindset as me. And one day I'm going to meet my evil twin and only one of us is going to live, right? And one of us is going to go home. And so that's, that's kind of my mindset on training, right? Um, we're at firearms in the gym, you know, if it's getting on the mat, whatever it is. Uh, just so mentally, I've got that, you know, in, in, my, in my mind, I've proven it, right? Every day I'm proving to myself that I can handle it uh, when I meet that guy. Um, because if you don't train, you don't do those things, then you're just hoping, right? You're just kind of hoping that yeah. when that day comes, that you'll be ready, right? It's like a dream or a hope. Uh, <laughs> if you prove it every day in the gym, if you prove it on the range, you know, when you go train, then in your mind, man, you've got that confidence, that, yeah, I can handle myself. I can beat that guy when I meet him. So there's another Samoan Zangief out there. What's that? There's another Samoan Zangief. Another Samoan Zangief, <laughs> yeah. Street Fighter T reference. There's a saying on the little image here that I put together. It's Mike Tyson. He said, um, discipline is doing what you hate to do, but doing it like you love it. So discipline's like, like Mike like Tyson's saying, right? those mornings when you really do not want to get up, man. Um, and I find that when I wake up in the early in the morning, that's when I have all the best excuses, man. And like when I'm lying in bed, my excuses are so good. You know, they're just like, dang, that's a yeah. good excuse, man. That, I yeah. should listen to that one. Uh, yeah. But that's when you just got to say, no, nah, man, that's just all lies. It's all lies, man. You just got to get up and you're going to feel way better working out for an hour rather than laying here for another hour and then waking up and still being tired, right? Yeah. Um, but I find even at work, man, like I said, I'm an instructor, a firearms instructor, and one of the hardest things I find, man, is trying to 
uh, motivate guys to want to train, right? And so I've set it up. So I set up our, our department. So we train. It used to be, man, that most, most, most departments you'll see around the country will, will maybe train in firearms maybe two or three times a year, the most, right? Really? Um, and three is the high end. And, uh, and so can you imagine if you're only, if, if you're like, imagine like when you have a gun, right? You carry a gun with you every day for work. And, and it has the ability, it's a tool that can take someone's life, right? Or it can save yeah. someone's life. Um, and it's the highest liability tool that we have, right? So we have the most liability. When we take out our gun, we, when we decide we, that we're going to shoot somebody, right? Um, that's when, right, that every, we say every bullet has an attorney attached to it, right? Because basically... What, wherever that bullet goes, if it hits the, the right person, okay, that family's going to sue you. If it hits the wrong person, that family's going to sue you, right? They're going to sue you, they're going to sue your department, and they're going to sue your, your, uh, your city as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's a tool that is, if, you know, we really need to be comfortable with it and, and because it's, it's probably the most important tool that we, that we have, right? Um, you know, other than our minds. And so um, in my department, so I, I changed it from the usual three times a year to now we're training firearms, you know, seven or eight times a year, right? Because the more trigger time I get my guys on, the more decision-making time, putting them under stress um, during training, right? The better they're going to be able to handle those kind of stressful situations uh, when they get out there and, and things go go sideways, you know, with them. Um, uh, just like, like my experience with with firearms is uh, so. Once I I did did about three years in uh, in Oregon, right, at, at Roseburg Police Department, and then when I came here, I've been here for about eight years now, uh, and I'm at the the Ferndale Police Department now. And uh, for six of those years, I've been, I was on. We have like the regional. Um, it's like a a countywide SWAT team, right? It's like a regional SWAT team. And so, uh, and so what happens is the sheriff's department is, uh, it's basically their SWAT team, but they recruit other, other people from different departments, right? Um, just for extra manpower and, and extra resources for that team. Uh, and so a lot, of, a lot of counties are doing that now because you, you just have so many people that you can select from rather than just from your own department. Uh, so I tried out for, uh, I'd been here for a year and I tried out for the, the county SWAT team uh, and I was able to get onto that team. Uh, and then I did, um, did six years on that team. And, uh, and then just, just this, the beginning of this year, then I resigned my position on that. Just the body was starting to, to kind of uh, break down on me a little bit. And so it was, it was getting a little difficult for me to, to continue doing it, but you know, so, so SWAT teams are, uh, the beauty of those is that you always, you know, you get all, a lot of excellent training, right? So you get better tools, you get better guns, better weapons, better, better things that we can use, right? Uh, and we get trained better on those things and, uh, and, and basically get trained as a team rather than as a, as a single officer. And so uh, you got a group of guys, like 16, 20 guys that are all highly trained and um and we're really in tune with each other so we know what you know when we go into something on an, on an op um 
you know, it's, you don't feel too concerned, you know, because everybody knows what they're doing, right? Uh, whereas we're on patrol, like in my own department, um, you know, we don't always train together like that as a team, right? Uh, and generally by ourselves. And so I feel comfortable myself, but there's some people that I wouldn't feel comfortable having with me if, if things got really bad, right? Because I know that they don't have that same sort of training. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's the, another thing over here is that you can, you know, there's so many different kind of lateral positions and uh, that you can get into, right? If you want to be a canine officer, but just like home, um, you know, SWAT guy, um, you know, detectives or, you know, all those kind of things. Um, you just got to get a feel for what you, you want to do and, and uh, kind of see where you want to be in the future and, and what you're interested in the most and then just kind of go for it. Wow. Um, with the elections coming up, is, are you uh, expecting any, any dramas or problems whenever that happens? Are there any plans in yeah. place? The results, you mean? Well, yeah. just whatever the result is. I mean, you guys have seen what's going on over here already, you know. Uh, it's, it's crazy, man. I've, um, I've, honestly, I've never seen uh, the country like this before. You know, I've never seen it so divided. Uh, and, and the way it's divided, it's not just, you know, hey, I don't agree with your opinion. It's like, hey, you're, you know, if you don't agree with me, uh, you know, you're my enemy. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to want to, I want to hurt you or kill you or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, there's a, there's a lot of ideas going around about what's, what's causing all this to happen. Um, but, but whoever, whoever's behind all of this, right. And I believe that there is someone, some, some sort of powerful group that is, that is working all of this stuff. Um, you know, the first thing you always want to do, right. If you're trying to, if you're trying to hurt a, a country is you want to get rid of weaken their law and order. Right. Okay. And so, so how do you do that? The first thing you do is you make them look like the enemy. Right. And so, so every single thing that comes out, whenever a police officer does any mistake, it's on every news thing. Right. Uh, especially like on the, on the liberal side. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and people buy into that. Right. They, you know, they, they watch the news and so they start believing that, um, that all cops are racist or all cops are, um, you know, are violent and, and just abusive or all, all just hunting black people, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is complete nonsense. You know, uh, you know, I've been in this job for, for 12 years now and I have never, ever been around a racist cop. Um, you know, I guarantee you if there was a cop that I thought was bad, we would want him out of here faster than yeah. anybody because yeah. they make all of us look bad. Right. Uh, and to me and to, to all the other cops I know, there's nothing worse than a bad cop. There's n- yeah. nothing worse. Uh, yeah. Cops will make mistakes because we, Oh, oh shoot. Sorry guys. I'm doing that again. Oh. <clears throat> uh, cops will make mistakes because they're the human, right? Everyone's human. So, uh, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Pat, you know, there's, 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 there's PTSD, man, and that's a real thing. Um, you know, if you don't have a good way to, to get your you know, negative energy out, like, like we're talking about gym therapy and um, having a good family to come home to, um, having a work that, you know, um, that understands that kind of stuff and allows you to take time off when you need it. Uh, all of that adds up and it builds up, you know, and then you get that, that situation where, 
uh, perhaps there's someone that is kind of re he's really pushing your buttons, and that mm -hmm. day you don't have you don't have that um, that calmness or that coolness that you normally do, right? And you let something get to you personally, right? Um, and so it happens. It does happen, you know. Uh, and then it's on the other officers around you to see that and say, "Hey, Carl, you know, or hey, Pat, this is. Hey, let me take over from here, all right." You know, because you can see it. You can see when you, one of your buddies is getting hyped up, you know, and it is up to, to, to the rest of us to say, hey. And then afterwards, you know, once that's taken care of, say, hey, you know, um, what's going on, man? Try, you know, try and figure out a way to find a yeah. solution to that instead of letting it kind of brushing it under the rug and just hoping it goes away. Mm. Um, sorry, I forget what the, oh, but as far as the, as, as what's going on in the country, man. Uh, <clears throat> They're doing a really good job at, 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 at making us look really bad, uh, you know. And so um, that's why you've seen a lot of, a lot of uh, states and, and cities, you know, defund their own police departments, yeah. you know, um, and kind of buying into that, right? Mm -hmm. Because they want, they want people, the mobs or the, 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 the crowds to be happy. Uh, but all they're doing though is they're hurting that city because you take police out of a city, man, and then what do you have? You know, I mean, we kind of, they call us the thin blue line because we are that line between, you know, that happiness and chaos and anarchy, right? Um, and if you look at, honestly, if you look at what a police officer is, right? Say, in every city, right, you have one police officer for every 500 people, or in some cases, one police officer every 1,000 people. Right. So the reality of, of that is, is that there is no way if the people didn't want to comply with us and they decided they wanted to do whatever they wanted, there's no way that we could stop them. Right. OK. And so the only thing that that allows us to do our job and to be successful at being a police officer and kind of upholding the law is this thing. Right. It's almost like. It's almost like a facade. Right. That that there's going to be a penalty and we're going to be that penalty, right. For breaking that law. Okay. And that, so that's the only thing that, that, that stops people is that the fear that the police are going to get them. Okay. And that there's going to be some sort of repercussions whether we catch them during the crime or we get them later. Uh, but what the media is doing right now, and, and, and this is where it's really hurting the police across the country is that they're taking that, even that facade away, right? That idea of police uh, being able to do something because what they're doing is the leaders of, of some of these more liberal cities, they're telling their police officers, hey, stand there and, you know, don't fight back, right? Uh, and don't retaliate. When they're throwing stuff at you, don't retaliate. Don't arrest them, right? And so what's that doing? That, that, that whole illusion that there is always going to be a repercussion for for, for breaking the law is taken away because they're weakening that every time they, they do something like that, every time the media comes out and says, you know, uh, and shows uh, police officers getting assaulted or abused uh, and nothing happening back to those people that are doing it. Right. That illusion that that thin blue line gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Mm -hmm. And we lose the uh, that authority that we have and the ability to be able to, to stop these crimes from happening. Uh, so it's, it's more than just the officers getting hurt. It's, it's what it's doing to, uh, 
just the idea of police work, the, the, the authority that we have, right, um, is, is, is really hurting that. I think I saw a status that um, about 48 or 45 police officers have died just in the course of this year. I mean, uh, yeah. I guess that's something that's, um, I think it might have been Senator Chip Roy was sort of bringing that stat up. And, you know, when you're, like you said, when all of a sudden that, that authority is taken away from you guys, you guys become a much bigger target. I think recently we saw stories of, you know, cops being shot in their cars. And again, uh, it's a very dangerous, I guess, situation to be in. We're in here in New Zealand, we don't have those sorts of problems, but I mean, you're right there and the think of it and, and, you know, having to put your life on the line. So it's, it's a, I can see why it can be a very stressful job. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's and, and, and because of what's going on, right, um, uh, you know, because we've been made to look like the enemy, uh, do you have, I have a lot more people feeling like they want to assault and kill officers, right? Uh, yeah. And so, like you said, that number of 57 or whatever number it is that have been killed so far this year, um, and, and it's way higher than it normally is, right? It's because of what's going on. Yeah. Right? So, so what are you doing? You're creating this environment where, where officers, um, you know, if you look at what Black Lives Matter is saying, right? They're saying that, Officers are out there hunting black people, black men. Uh, but you look at how many officers die every year compared to, to black men that are getting killed by officers, right? Uh, there's way more officers yeah. that get killed, right? Yeah. You know, and so, but, but is anyone out there saying, hey, these guys, these black men are hunting officers? No, you know, no one even talks about that, right? Yeah. I thought, um, I thought the story of David Dorn, uh, the only police officer that came back and was killed during the, 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 the riots sort of highlighted that since it didn't fit the narrative, yeah. you know, no one talked about it. Here's, a, here's an elderly African-American man that basically went to look after his mate shot um, store and was killed basically after being retired from police as a police officer. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, I mean it's, uh, the narrative doesn't fit that, right? Uh, they don't care that, that there's, there's still hundreds of, of, of black people getting killed every year, uh, like every month. Uh, in certain cities or around the country, uh, all they care about is the one officer that is killed. Having said that, the one, the one black man that's killed by a white officer, right? That's all they care about. Uh, and so the narrative, you know, I mean, what they're pushing is, I have to say, it's been really effective, man. It's, uh, I've never seen the country, and then you add COVID to that. Um, and I, and honestly, I think, I think over here, uh, COVID is, is just as political as everything else, you know. Um, you know, people are using it, using COVID to, as as a political weapon, and you know, and and the country is is suffering because of that. And so, you know, I, with the with the um, election coming up, uh, you know, honestly, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, uh, regardless of who wins. Uh, if Trump wins, um, you're going to get a whole bunch of, 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 you know, the lefties that are going to fight that and that are not going to accept it. You know, there's, there's talks of a coup. You know, there's talks of, of that kind of stuff. And I, I believe it, man. I believe that, you know, just because just I've never seen it this bad. I believe that something, um, that they are going to do something. If Trump loses even, you know, um, it, it's, you know, things going to go bad. Um, as far as like, I think for law enforcement, 
uh, I think it's pretty, pretty safe to say that most law enforcement um, support Trump uh, because Trump supports us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's always kind of stood behind the military and stood behind law enforcement. And, uh, and, and where, where everyone else is trying to throw us under the bus, he's always mm-hmm. kind of got our back. And so, uh, and for that reason, you know, you've got a lot of law enforcement that are, are, are supporting him and hoping that he wins. Wow. Strange days, brother. Strange days. Yeah, man. Yeah. But man, even with all the stuff going on, bro, it's still, I'll be honest, it's the best job. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing, you know, other than being retired. I'd be, I'd rather be retired. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but if I'm working, um, you know, the good definitely outweighs the bad in this job. You know, you get, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to my wife about this a lot and, and um, the ability to, to, to still be able to help people every day, man, is, is, is something that you just, you know, to me is just so much value to it. I can come home every day and I might have, you know, really crappy calls most of the day, but they have one call where I feel like I've actually been able to help someone. Uh, and then that makes it all worthwhile, man. You know, I've got, um, my kids are still, I've still got kids young enough that they, they love seeing what dad does uh, for work, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and to me, man, that is, that means the world when, uh, when my kids are proud of what dad does, you know? Uh, and so, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, uh, a lot of officers will, will live in different cities that they work in, um, mm. just because you don't want to run into the same people you're, you know, you're arresting. <laughs> um, Good point. But for me, I was like, I, mean, I want, you know, if something happens at one of my kids' schools or something, you know, happens with my house, I, I want to be the one to be able to uh, respond to that, right? I, I don't mm. want someone else coming in my place. Uh, and then plus I can, I've, I can have a direct influence on, uh, on the city that my family lives in, which is, which is awesome. Well, that's beautiful. So, um, we're going to close it off now, brother. Don't want to take up any more of your time, but, uh, Jack, anything in closing? Uh, just a big, uh, and also for coming on. Uh, we appreciate what you do, your service, your total, um, you're looking after, you're in a very tough job. Um, and, you know, we'll keep you in our prayers um, because, you know, you're out there putting your life on the line. And, uh, yeah, Blue Lives Matter. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Blue Lives Thanks, bro. Thanks, you know, bro. You know, hey, appreciate it, guys. Known you for a long time, was from back in the day, as, as we discussed. And uh, really proud to see what you're doing out there in, in your community and for your adopted country. And, um, you know, this is always your home back here too, bro. So if you're ever down this yeah, way, pop in and say hello. And uh, mm. like Jack said, man, you'll always be in our prayers. And, uh, I enjoy watching your journey uh, on Facebook, bro. And, you know, you're, you're, you are inspiring. You're inspiring to us. And um, we hope and, and pray that everything will go well, brother. So thank you again for coming to share this time with us. It's been, uh, it's been yeah. awesome, I think, Jay. It's oh, really awesome. Good to get an insider in, right. in, in the cauldron over there, brother. So mm. thank you very much. Um, yeah, anything no you'd like to say, bro? Hey, really good, uh, good catching up with you. Nice to meet you too, brother. Uh, Pat, I, I love following you as well, man. It's good seeing your family and everybody growing and, and progressing yeah. in their sports. It looks like you got a, a future All Black in the family there. 
And so I'll, I'll be watching. But, but just good seeing. Um, uh, I'm glad we've got Facebook so we can actually see each other and see our families grow up and, and kind of yeah. progress in life. Eh? There, are, there are some good things also. There are some good things too. All this madness, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, whatever. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. Thank you very much also. Uh, much love and much respect. Um, as I always sign off, all love, no hate. Fala ia. Fa.